this month's What's Happening in Our Community. I'm your host, Karen Cox, the broker of record at Sea and Ski Realty. And I'm here today with the Director of Community and Economic Development for the Municipality of Grey Highlands. Let me introduce you to Michelle Harris. Today we're going to be talking about short-term accommodations, or better known as STAs, in our area and what's happening with them moving forward. So Michelle, thank you for joining me today. I'm delighted to be here, even virtually. That's great. You know, it's amazing what we've adapted through this pandemic, right? How we've altered and been able to continue going on and moving forward. So let me get right into it because I think a lot of our listeners and viewers are quite interested in short-term accommodations. So can you tell us what an STA is? And I know the municipality has been reviewing this and looking into it and establishing some bylaws for the Highlands regarding STA. So maybe you can tell us where we're at with all of this. Thank you. So short-term accommodations are exactly what they would imply. Um, the way the municipality of Grey Highlands has defined it in our bylaw is any residential property that is rented out for 28 days or less. Um, it does not include commercially zoned properties, but any residentially zoned property that is rented out. So that could include an Airbnb or um, something that you find on VRBO or Flipkey. It would also include uh, traditional B&Bs as well. Um, and we've further defined those in our um, licensing program as hosted properties and unhosted properties. So you've given us an idea of the type of properties that could be an STA and that it's a rental for under 28 days. So it could be something that is a weekend rental, a week rental, anything under a month is what I'm gathering from what the bylaw regulations are. And the other question I have is, does the municipality have certain areas that these are allowed or areas where they're not allowed? They are allowed anywhere within the municipality, providing um, they obtain a license from the municipality. Um, we are just in the process of rolling out that um, licensing program. Probably within the next few weeks, we'll be contacting owners of properties we've been able to identify. The only caveat I would give that if there are private um, roads or private, um, I'll, I'll use the Beaver Valley Ski um, club for an example, they may have their own regulations within their club that may have restrictions on STAs and the municipality cannot override theirs. However, if indeed there are short-term accommodations at bare minimum, they'd have to comply with our needs. So is there any, could you have 10 on the street out of 12 homes? Is there going to be any density rules to the number of STAs on a row, let's per se? in what we're calling subdivision areas, where there is a concentration of homes, um, we are recommending a density limit of 15% of the homes on that street. Um, in rural areas, you can't really do that on a, you know, a, a rural road, but in subdivision areas, we are recommending 15%. There is some leeway in that, that is a guidance and, um, it really is to monitor and mainly 
integrity of our neighborhoods because that when we put this licensing program into effect that was some of what we were hearing from the community that um, people didn't want to lose the very nature and fabric of neighborhoods so that 15 percent density we're hoping will um, protect some of that and give it a good balance in the neighborhood so it's not a total yeah. street that's rentals yeah no that makes yeah. a lot of sense michelle thank you for that that's good so when is this new rule coming into place or the bylaws for short-term rental accommodation? So the bylaw was passed effective um, January 2020, but the licensing had to go into effect. So we, um, as a municipality, have contracted a third-party agency who is monitoring all of the variety of social platforms where people rent these properties. Um, we engage that property in, at the, or that company at the end of March, um, which was exactly when the pandemic hit. And one of the requirements of our licensing is that um, properties require a life safety inspection. So just basic things to make sure they have fire alarms and CO2 detectors, et cetera. With the onset of COVID and the state of emergency, our building inspectors were not able to go out. So now that that restriction has been listed on our building inspectors, we will be rolling out. We've got a list of all the properties that we've been able to identify in the municipality. And we will be contacting them hopefully within the next couple of days or sorry, excuse me, we'll be contacting them within the next couple of weeks to advise them of the licensing program and to give them a chance to submit their application to be licensed. So is there sort of a, a transition or a leeway period that they're going to be advised of the program and then there's a certain period of time for them to get their license? Yes, without question. We expect this is going to take a little while. Um, so we will send out the first letter and then, you know, three weeks later, if we haven't heard from them, we'll, we'll send it out again. Um, our intent is to give properties no longer than three months, roughly, to comply once we've contacted them. Um, as we continue to monitor the marketplace as well, we expect there will be other ones popping up. Um, we may find that some properties may choose not to operate beyond, you know, if they have to be licensing. We're not thinking too many of them. Um, and then we also think there will be more that will appear over time because a lot of the short-term accommodation in our region is also seasonal. Right. There's some for ski seasonals. There's some for the summer, like, exactly. like Eugenia, right? Cottage rental. So this probably won't be in effect for this summer season on Lake Eugenia or for cottage rentals, but it will definitely be apply, applicable for next summer. Absolutely. And the hope was that um, when we were pre-COVID, we had hoped by, you know, we contract the agency to track these down for us. In March, we were hoping to get this in place for the season, but um, sort of life got in the way and a global pandemic came upon us. But I think the intent of the program, um, and, and I, I don't want this to be perceived as simply a control mechanism um, for STAs. Frankly, we want to encourage this sector in our economy. We know it's important to many of our residents. Um, we know as a tourism destination, we don't have a lot of um, 
traditional rental accommodation. So short-term accommodation properties fill a market need and provide economic benefit to our community. But we're also trying to balance um, the needs of our residents as well. And I alluded to some of that earlier. We need to make sure we're protecting the integrity of our neighborhoods, that the people who rent properties are respectful of our community and our community values, and they abide by our, um, you know, bylaws around noise and waste, et cetera, like that. So it's not meant to be punitive in any way. It is really just meant to find a balance. And certainly for the municipality, I think the intent is that this starts to identify the importance of this sector as an economic driver in our community as well. And one point you did mention, but I also think is important, is the safety of the renters coming into the area, our visitors, our tourists, our guests that are coming into the area, knowing that the home they're renting has been certified or established and that it's a safe place to stay. It may give them more confidence coming to Great Island. It's interesting that you say that when we first started to explore a licensing program, um, the municipality did um, establish a task force of short-term operators who sat around a table and reviewed what we were proposing. And I think at the outset, there may have been a bit of resistance, concern around this being too restrictive. But by the end, um, we were I think we worked quite well with them to strike that balance. And certainly what we learned, and they, they reiterated that same point, that at the end, they felt this would be an advantage that they could promote, that they at least they've had some minimum level of safety requirements. So when guests and visitors are coming, they know that the property has been inspected and complies with those basic life safety and health issues that are important for visitors. Yeah, so I think they'll probably even do better with this program in place. It'll give a lot more confidence. It'll give um, some a peace of mind to the neighbors too, that they exactly. live beside. So I think it's great for the whole community. So if I owned a property and wanted to rent it out, like on Airbnb or short-term rentals, what would be the process I would go through for the application to get an STA? So starting in two weeks, we will actually, if you owned a property, we would be contacting you. We would ask you to submit a small um, fill in a form on our website that expresses your interest. We would review that. You'd need to um, identify the property address, who you were, um, whether you were the owner. And then what we would do is follow up with you and you would need to apply for your um, life safety inspection through our permitting system. And what that would do, Karen, is when you got put to that link, you would need to identify how many pro how many bedrooms you had on, on site. Um, you'd have to supply us with a site plan. And we're not talking about, uh, you know, a professionally drawn site plan, but a drawing could be hand drawing of your property so that we could make sure you had sufficient parking to make sure um, that you had you, you'd indicate where your exits and entrances were for your property and then how many bedrooms and guests you could accommodate our licensing um, applies to a maximum of 10 guests 
per property, and that is dependent on the number of bedrooms you have. So each property can um, will be licensed for two guests per bedroom plus an additional two guests. So that would mean if you happen to have a basement or a, a family room where you had a pull-out couch. So if you had three bedrooms in your property, you could host up to eight guests in that property. And that's what you would need to uh, fill out. Once you filled that out and we had that and sort of proof of ownership, our building inspector would go out and check your life safety. Once you've complied with that, you would uh, you would be issued a license. And what we're asking all property owners who are advertising their properties for rent is that once they are issued a license number, that they include that license number on any advertising that they do. So that's how we know when we're tracking that we see a listing on Airbnb. If there's a license number on it, we can cross-reference it and make sure that indeed you have a proper municipal short-term license. So if I made an application, I would do a site plan that would outline the house, maybe a floor plan of the house, so you would yeah. know the layout in the bedrooms, whether I had um, fire escape areas like egress. Um, exactly. You would want to know where my smoke monitors were, my carbon dioxide monitors in the house, detectors. You're going to want to know parking, how many cars I could park, whether they were in tandem, because you don't want to interfere on the road or with your neighbors. Um, you're going to want to probably know waste management for the property. We, yeah, we would um, make sure that that would be, when our building inspectors go out, we don't necessarily need to know where you do it, but we would make sure that you are aware of our bylaws as well. You know, that waste needs to be taken, either taken with you when you leave or the property owner needs to have a specific spot where it is put. So um, what, what, what came out of our um, accommodator task force um, was that they actually put together a renter's code that we are going to also be asking um, renters and operators to supply to their renters when they come. So if I were renting your property, when I booked your property, we would like you either to have posted in the property when I arrive or at bare minimum and ideally show it before I, I came to the property, a renter's code that you will abide by the bylaws of the municipality, that you will respect the integrity and the values of the community, that we're excited to have you, but that you are our guests in the area and just a broad, and it's included with our registration, but the, the operators felt that that was really important because they all were very clear that while they may rent their properties, they value this place and this community and they want to encourage um, people who come and visit and rent their property to respect their homes and our land and our area as much as they do. So I thought that was a great addition. No, that's great. So when I get the license, as you mentioned, if I had three bedrooms I, and I yep. could have an additional area if I had a pull-out coach in the family room, et cetera. Yep. So my license would say I am allowed to have a maximum of eight people. That's correct. So, so you're indicating on the license how many people are qualified for that place or certified or allowed to be rented to that the maximum That's number, correct. right? That's awesome, because that will control numbers, too. Because I think some of the community fear is that you're going to have 20 people in a property, right? And then the neighbors are going to be upset about that, right? Because of noise, parking, waste.
it's the party houses that that are um, the ones that have been causing some of the problems. And and let's there's not a ton of problems. I would say ninety five to ninety eight percent of the existing properties who are operating these their guests um, comply. But there is there have been some issues with party houses and the intent is to manage. And that also falls back into a life safety. If you're, you have a, you know, a 1500 square foot home and you could comfortably for the weekend accommodate eight people. And that's what your license says. As soon as you're packing that house with 20 or 25 people, um, it causes issues potentially for life safety. It causes parking issues in the neighborhood. It could be, you know, extra parking on a cul-de-sac, which in the winter can cause problems when we're trying to get our snow plows around to clear for safety. So that's what we're trying to mitigate. We, we want to encourage people to come up and enjoy the area, but there has to be that balance. No, that's perfect. So once I get my license, what are sort of the rules and responsibilities as an owner that has an STA license am I responsible for? Like, I'm sure there are some things that we've got to keep a record of and things like that. There are indeed. Obviously, you need to keep a record of your guests. I think the biggest one that we've put in, and um, it's why early in our conversation, I talked about hosted and unhosted properties. Um, Hosted properties are traditional bed and breakfast where the owner is there during the time of your stay. We do have a number of what we would call unhosted properties here, where it's a house that the owner is not living in while it is being rented to guests. And for those properties, the requirement, well, for any property, the requirement is that a responsible prop person has to be available to respond to any issues or complaints that may come forward and they need to be able to respond within an hour. So our compliance agency that we've engaged um, will have a 1-800 number. So if a resident calls about your property, Karen, because there's 12 cars parked in a cul-de-sac and it's blocking, they will be, and we will be promoting this, this 1-800 number or toll-free number that they can call and say, I live on 123 Main Street and I believe there's a short-term accommodation property next to us and there are 25 cars on the cul-de-sac and um, that's a problem. So the compliance agency will be able to look on that record, first of all, to see if it is indeed a short-term accommodation and if it's a licensed property. And if it is, um, we will have a record through our licensing um, process of either you as the owner, Karen, like if you live, you know, a block away, or if you live in Toronto, you may have an agent or a representative who can respond to that complaint or issue within an hour. So our agency will call the person of record who is that responsible person up and say, we've had a call about a property, your property at 123 Main Street. Apparently there are 25 cars blocking. We need you to deal with it. And how they choose to deal with it is up to them. They could drive there, they could call up the person, but that gives some level of responsibility back and a way for our residents to track those complaints. The hope is that we call you up, Karen, and you deal with it, whether by going there or phoning the people, and the problem gets resolved right away. 
if the problem is not resolved, that goes on your record as a property owner. And you would be notified to say on this date, there was this issue, you were not responsive. So you now have one demerit point on your record. Um, any property owner who has three unresolved demerit points will lose their license for a year. They have an ability to reapply after a year. And if it happens again, you lose your license sort of forever or until the property has changed. Um, any property owner has the right to come and appeal to council. But part of what we would be doing, if I was the complainant, I could send pictures of the cars. So if I complained at midnight that there were 25 cars, I could take a picture and submit it and we would keep a record of that and go, oh, there's a 20. And then we would have a record that we called you at 12.05 p.m. as the owner. And, you know, at 2 a.m. in the morning, we could say, oh, look, here's another picture. There, it hasn't been dealt with. So we're try we don't want to be the police, but we have to hold the owners accountable because in some areas it has been a problem. So... I think the, the broad intent is that there are, like a child, there are some repercussions for um, people who aren't responsive and aren't um, responsible property owners. And there is some ability for us to deal with that as a municipality and to provide some recourse for the neighbors who may be struggling with this. So I think it's great because I think the rental owners that are actually renting out their properties have got to be responsible and screen the people that they have coming in their homes and properties. Um, so I, I think it's great that you have a demerit system. So when they do lose their license after three demerits, um, they have to wait a year before they can reapply. And yeah. then if they have another time that they get three more demerit points and they lose their license again, it's game over for, for that. So does that carry with the property or with the property owner? with the property owner. So if, um, because really in our mind, it's not the property that is causing the issue. It's the property owner who is not dealing with um, being a responsible um, renter, right? So if you if you were the, the bad character and, you know, Russ came in later and bought the property up after you, we he needs to be assumed to be a good character and somebody who will be a responsible property owner and would have every right to apply again. And have a clean slate to start with. Start completely from scratch. Your, your bad behavior would not reflect poorly on him at all. What if a property owner had lost their license permanently because they had two rounds of three demerit points? Would they be allowed to operate another property in a different location? and get an STA license? I know that's a tough question, Michelle. I'm putting you on the spot here, thinking of unusual circumstances. I think they would probably, they would be, and again, we know that this is new in every jurisdiction in North America that we looked at when we um, put together this licensing program, they tweak theirs because you don't know what you're going to be dealing with until you deal with it. I would suggest right now, Karen, that they would have a right to to operate in another location. However, we would know who they are. And that's the interesting thing because this 
um, tracking system through our building permit system, we'll have a record of who the players are, which is what we don't have now. So if Freddie is the bad egg and he goes and buys another property, we're already going to be well aware of who he is. Now, it doesn't mean I think that he should probably be given another chance, but we'll have the warning. We'll be watching is all I will say on that one. Okay. So what are the fees to get an STA and are there any fees in the application process? So I'm going to talk about the pre-COVID fees and then what we've done because of COVID. So when the program was originally um, proposed, there would be a your life safety inspection to have somebody go out and inspect it. There would be a one-time fee of $200, which uh, you need to apply on the year of your license and then again in year four. So you, you have three years for that first inspection. And then in year four, you would have to have another inspection. So that would have been a $200 fee. Then the annual licensing fee would have been $300 for an unhosted property. And there would be no fee for a hosted property. So if you were living on site or you were offering it, operating a traditional B&B where you were there when your guests were there, there would have been no licensing fee. That was how the program was proposed. When COVID hit us and understanding the devastating impact um, COVID has had on our economy broadly across Ontario, but specifically on our tourism industry, there was, we thought this is, we believe in the merits of a licensing program for all kinds of reasons. The intent of this program was never to be a revenue generator for the municipality, but to be revenue, revenue neutral. So just literally to cover our costs. However, we are aware that businesses are hurting. So we went to council um, a month ago or three weeks ago and recommended um, some changes to the fee structure for the remainder of this year till December 31st. What we have proposed and what council approved is that when you apply for your license, your life safety inspection fee would be reduced from $200 to $100. And that fee would be deferred until you renew your license for your second year. So you wouldn't have to pay that $100 until you um, renew your license. The, there was never going to be an annual licensing fee for, an, un, for a hosted property. And we have also recommended and council approved that anybody who applies for a license prior to December 31st would not have to pay a license fee for their first year of operation. So in essence, because of COVID, if you sign up by December 31st of this year, there will be no cost for your first year of license and your $100 reduced inspection fee would be deferred for one year. So if I applied in July and got yep. approved and I got my STA, I wouldn't pay anything till July of 2021. And at that point in time, I would pay my license fee and then I would pay $100 for my inspection fee. 
So if you do, I, so I could operate a whole year. Yes. Yeah, so, and then when you went to renew in July of 2021, you, your fee would be $400. So right now, the emphasis is on applying and getting your license. Absolutely. And having because we believe that will help us for all of it. I mean, remember, the, the intent of this was not to make money. It was to cover our costs. And the merits of the licensing program still exist so that we know who's out there, so that we have an avenue for residents to lodge complaints if there's any issues. And all of that still applies. So I, I think it's important that we continue with the licensing program. But we have to understand that there have been a lot of our operators who are not getting revenues in right now. Right, because it's only opened up again in the province for short-term rentals very recently yes. with, exactly. with very stringent rules on how they can operate. And uh -huh. I think the, the other piece of that, Karen, is not only, even though they can now operate, um, there is no clear understanding of what consumer uptake is going to be there. Um, from what we're reading in other jurisdictions, there is some resistance to um, business as usual from a consumer point of view. So we, we need to understand and respect what the operators are going through. Um, we did tell council that we would go back at the end of the year to reassess what fees might look like because none of us know what's going to be happening in September or October. Right. And I, I've heard the same thing. It's consumer confidence that there is health and safety protocols in place to make sure that their state is safe. You know, it's the same thing for hotels and restaurants, et cetera. It's that co uh, consumer confidence that it's okay to go back out with, as long as everything has been put in place for them. Um, so that they have a safe stay, right? So it's going to take time for that confidence to build, I think. So I think you're correct in your thoughts and in what you've been hearing too, because I've been hearing the same yep. thing out there in the community yep. and across the province. So, so you're going to be monitoring this system. So what happens yep. if um, somebody who is doing a rental on Airbnb and they don't apply for a, a license or an STA license this year, what are the consequences for the people who don't think, well, hey, I don't have to do this? Um, we have put in a, a clause that after you've been contacted multiple times and you just choose not to operate, that you will be fined $1,000 a week for operation, and those fees would be applied directly to your property tax against your property. So they would get a thousand dollar fine. It would be if they didn't pay, it would go on my tax bill. Is what you're saying? Yep. So, so let's say I paid that and said, okay, yeah, you're not going to catch me again. Um, I'll just do it under the table, and they get caught again. So, is there does the fine go up the second time for a second offense, or is it a thousand dollar per time? It's a thousand dollars per week of operation without a license. So it's not a thousand dollars a year. And it was interesting because that was some of the talk when we were meeting with the community about a year ago about this. Um, there were a few people who said, well, you know, what, what does the penalty look like? And we talked about a fee and they said, well, that seems steep. And I said, well, it is meant to be a deterrent for some people. If we just said it's a thousand dollar one time fee, 
a lot of them might say, and I shouldn't say a lot because we're not anticipating problems, but there would be a thing, well, I'll take that risk because I could be making $3,000. So I'll try to scoot under the radar. $1,000 a week is a significant deterrent. We do know that there are jurisdictions that charge $1,000 a day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, so, let, and let's not kid ourselves. We don't want that. Like, we, yeah. we want people to be licensed and we will do everything in our power to um, work with the community to make sure that we have these properties licensed. So, Michelle, do you have a website where people can go to get information if they're interested in renting their property out this summer so that they can make the application process? Absolutely. Um, we have all of the information on our um, business and economic development website for the municipality, which is greyhighlands.biz.biz. Um, and there is on the right-hand navigation menu a section that says short-term rental and it talks about the details of the program the application is probably not up there yet but it'll be there within a week or so uh, and it'll have a step-by-step -step guide on how to apply um, we will also once we are ready to launch we will be doing a fairly extensive social media campaign we'll be putting something out with the municipal tax bills that go out we will be um, sharing things on social media and again, um, we're not going to be punitive at the start. We want to encourage people to register their property and frankly, be part of our business community so that we can all work together to help grow our tourism industry. So um, we have had a few calls. Oh my gosh, I need to get in there on the first day. And I said, we've got some leeway. And you have to remember as well, we've got to get our building inspectors out. So as long as there is the integrity that people are moving towards licensing, we're good with that. We figure it's going to take some months and we're going to keep discovering more properties through the process. So this will be an ongoing thing. But it, once we contact you, we, you know, the intent is that you become a good corporate citizen and you apply for your license. And we all work together to encourage a thriving and safe tourism industry in Grey Highlands. Well, that sounds great. And I think getting the word out is going to be key because I think you yep. need to get everybody involved that is doing short-term rentals in the area. So that's awesome. So is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners and viewers about the program that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, so I guess the only thing I would say is that um, we're excited about this. We want to make this a positive experience for our visitors who come to Grey Highlands, for the property owners, and for our local community as well. Um, this is new for Grey Highlands. Um, there, it's new in North America and globally, and a lot of communities are grappling with this. Um, I think I just, you know, if I could say anything, we want to work together. And if there's things we haven't thought about or that come up, um, we'll all work together to address them. Um, we've been as thoughtful as we think we can based on what we know today. But as you said, you know, you've already brought something up that, oh, we didn't think about that. There will be modifications and the jurisdictions across North America where they've done this for a while, they're continually modifying and updating it. And as long as we work together and know that we're all doing this for the right reason, I think this is going to be a benefit to our community and everyone who comes to visit.
Well, great. Well, thanks again, Michelle, for speaking with us today and keeping us up to date on what's happening in the short-term accommodation rentals in our community. So thank you. It's been great talking thank with you. Thank you for having me. Well, we look forward to speaking to you again soon, Michelle, because I know you've always got new things happening here in the municipality. And so that's it for today. We invite you to tell us what sort of topics you'd like to hear about and what guests you'd like to see on future episodes of what's happening in our community. You can contact us on any of our social media accounts, as well as you can email us at info at cnskirealty.ca. We're also very excited to share that you can now enjoy this content everywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, and episodes can be viewed on all of our social media accounts. You can also visit cnskirealty.ca slash what's happening, where you can catch all of our episodes or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new episodes. And our next episode will air on Wednesday, July 29th. So stay tuned to see what's happening in our community. So thank you for tuning in today and we'll talk to you soon.